Hello and welcome back to episode 22 of The Hard Yards, an episode Richie Benno would love to be announcing. 22. Proudly sponsored by Tour Tees, which is an Australian-owned design golf tee, providing less friction off the tee, which equates to more distance for you. So a massive thank you for Tour Tee coming on board. More for a special deal from Tour Tee for my listeners later in the show. This week, I am super excited to welcome to the show someone who participates in a sport that I actually know very little about, and it's tough for me to admit that. It is horse racing. This week's guest is a jockey. So despite the fact that he is small in size, he has a big heart for his profession and still loves the rush of riding home a winner. Gives me great pleasure to welcome to the Hard Yards from episode 22, Mark Duplessis. Welcome, Mark, and thanks for taking the time to come on the show. Hi, Matty. Thanks very much for having me. It's um, something I've been looking forward to, and hopefully uh, I can get through it uh, well enough. (laughs) Mate, I'm sure... For someone who stands in the uh, in the in the gates, about to race a uh, a giant horse, which has got incredible power, this podcast should be a breeze, mate, for you. Yeah, it's, it, I've I've never really been uh, too worried about being on TV or having an interview. I've done a few of them myself, but that's another story we'll get into. So um, yeah, I'm, I mean, I've never done a podcast, so it's very uh, it's very new to me, but very exciting. That's awesome, mate. Well, thank you so much for uh, giving me the privilege to be able to interview on your first podcast, and uh, I'm sure there'll be many more, mate. Tell us a little bit about you. So, Duplessis suggests uh, it's not an Australian surname, mate. So, uh, tell us a little bit about your your heritage and where you were born, and and um, how you find yourself uh, now residing in Brisbane, here in Australia, and uh, and riding horses in this great country. Yeah, look, uh, I was born and bred in Zimbabwe, uh, not South Africa like most people think, but um, yeah, it's a small little landlocked country right above South Africa, and I was very fortunate to have been uh, brought up on in Zimbabwe's biggest, uh, it's a, a big hydro dam, a freshwater lake, so, so wow. to speak. My dad had um, a business there where he, he basically looked after about 180 boats, um, so uh, about 100 on the water and about 80 in the sheds. He had a big wow. uh, carpentry shop. It was a huge, big business, uh, big metalwork shop. Um, Dad was a businessman. He, his first out of uh, out of school, he went straight into the air force, and then he got his his uh, his sister's brother got killed in the air force, or in in, in in the war in Zimbabwe and uh, he ended up taking over his business which was this marina which is so far from anything that I ever thought I'd be in, in being a jockey so my parents are both very Christian and they yeah we I grew up right in the bush um, about 300 k's from any racehorse or any race course or anything like that oh, wow. so I never grew up with any ponies or anything I grew up with boats and motorbikes yeah and uh yeah, had a fair few crashes on them and yeah, just, just grew up with wildlife all around me and um, it was it was nothing for our security guard at the time at nine o'clock at night to come and knock on the door and please boss, can you come and chase the elephants away? So, no way. Yeah, it was, it was a bit of a circus. We had no TV in those days because it was a third world country. Um, what sort of age are we talking here? Oh, so I moved uh, from the capital of Harare with my folks, we went, I was four years old and my sister, so it's just me and my sister, she was seven. We moved up to a place called Kariba. Um, very hot and humid 
very much like Brisbane, which is why I'm here now, but we'll get to that later. Um, Dad moved over, he took over this business, knowing nothing about it, uh, found his way through, got through some very tough times, and mum, the same, she she was a smoker at the time, I think she started eating cigarettes by then, trying to work out this how to run this company. As I said, there were a lot of boats to look after, it's a lot of property belonging to uh, other people, very expensive yeah, property. for sure. And it's actually how I managed to get into the horse racing game by, in those days, if you had a boat, you had a bit of money and you had a yeah, race, right. pretty much. Yeah. And there were quite a few clients with my dad that had race horses and they, they looked at me as this little kid running around on his motorbike. They said, oh, he's tiny for his age, which I was. So I had a, as a kid, I had a, I had a bone retardation, which um, when I was 12, I was the same size as a four-year-old. So I went through no it. Yeah, I went through a medication thing which helped me catch up, which was a, like a um, growth hormone injections I used to take for a couple of years. But going back to how I got involved into horse racing was one of my dad's good friends who had a boat with him. He said, you know, there's a really good career for your son if he wants to take it up when he's, when he's old enough. And it, as I said, family, my family weren't involved in it. And they, they thought it was all very kind of, they didn't like that skullduggery part of the racing so they didn't encourage me but they never discouraged me at the same time yeah and then when i went to boarding school um i became friends with uh, a guy called hamish who his parents uh were avid race goers and had quite a few uh race horses and i stayed the weekend out of school at their house and they said oh we'll go to the races today so oh, never been so off yeah. i went i'd done a little bit of a little bit of uh, a homework about it and sort of knew a couple of the jockeys my age, just meeting them through schooling, because you still do your schooling whilst you're doing your apprenticeship. Yeah. And their fathers were riding at the time. And I, um, yeah, I, I sort of got hooked on it that way. And I, I met one of the trainers and this guy, Hamish, she said, we should go around to the stables one day. And uh, so, yeah, no problem. I, I've been sort of, with another friend from school going to their farm close by and hacking around on their ponies and all this kind of thing, thinking. So you'd started doing a little bit of riding. Yeah, but it was all, it was not sort of properly taught. I'd never, I'd yeah, never sure. sort of, I just jumped on. It was all cold turkey kind of thing. Yeah. And my friend's mum had sort of taught me on the farm, but it was, it was no, by no means that it wasn't any sort of professional kind of riding. It was no, yeah. uh, pony club kind of stuff where kids start yeah. off. A lot of kids started off with pony club because they were out of the bush. They were in the city. Before they became jockeys, I was just thrown right in the deep, in the deep end. <laughs> Anyhow, I went to the stables and I met this trainer and he said, can you ride? I said, yeah, I can ride, thinking that all horses were the same. <laughs> and I got on this I got on this race horse and he, he bucked me off and actually, luckily I had a helmet. He double barreled me in the head, broke the helmet. I ended up in hospital. Uh, yeah, and I thought I was all right, but I was just very, very shocked. I thought, gee, maybe I can't ride. Yeah. Anyhow, now in the Jockeys Academy in um, in Zimbabwe, is that helmet in a glass case to show. No way, it is. Apprentices coming through. This how is what can important, happen. Yeah, how important our helmets are. So I, yeah, I, I was still very keen. Mum came and picked me up from the hospital after that and said, well. And that didn't deter you? No. But mum Made said, you more I, determined. Yeah, well, I, I guess uh, she says, um, I guess you're, 
your your jockey days are, are, are finished before they've even started. I said, no, nah. I've told them I'm going to sign the papers when we go and have a meeting next month. <laughs> <laughs> so poor old mum, she uh, yeah, she took me in. We had a we had a meeting with the big wigs of Zimbabwe Racing and uh, started my apprenticeship January at, what March, age? Uh, at fifteen, I think it was 15. 15. Yeah, you had to finish your second year of school before you could of high school yeah, sure. before you high could school. start. Mm. And uh, yeah, I started January 1991 as uh, started my apprenticeship. Um, and uh, a question that just came to mind there, you said you'd been riding motorbikes and stuff prior to this. Um, obviously, you get alongside a, I mean, you were pretty small, so a motorbike would have felt pretty big to you, but you get alongside a, a, a full-size horse, I would think they're considerably bigger. Um don't quite have as much power as a as a motorbike, but the minute you fall off a motorbike, your throttles down and it's it's stopping. So yeah, well, know, the racehorse yeah. keeps going. That's got a mind of its own, right? Yeah. Well, funny story. I I wanted to actually race motorbikes as a kid, but my my folks couldn't afford to update the motorbike every year to be competitive. Yeah. And so I thought, well, after ending up underneath a car one day on my dad's property, going up up the road the wrong way, nearly killing myself at the age of nine or 10, I, I thought, oh, maybe this is not for me. Yeah. That's another story. But uh, yeah, look, motorbikes have brakes. Some horses, a lot of horses don't. But yeah, um, yeah the, old, the old apprenticeship was very, very good for me because my academy master was, uh, at the time when, when you start, he was, he kind of, he gelled to me quite a bit because I had never ridden before. And the boys mm. that I started with, had all ridden, so that's why I said I was thrown in the deep end straight away, where I had actually never been taught how to ride properly. So it took me quite a long time. It wasn't natural at all for me, but it only took me a year before I was actually race riding. Yeah, wow. Yeah, which was I, good. I, I've I can't say I've ridden horses. I have ridden a horse, not ridden a horse like you're talking about. Um, you know, I've been on the old my. My uncle and auntie used to have horses, and so I used to get on the back of them. And I must admit, they had an ex-race horse one time, which they were trying to train in to become a show 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 horse. And um, anyway, I jumped on it, and I think it got one side of the oval track and took off. And I was flying, I went flying off the back of the horse into the into the sand as well. But um, they, it must be a skill. Like, how do you? I remember, you know, even going from a, a walk into a canter, I think that's the right term. And then, you know, maybe a trot follows that, followed by a, you know, gallop. Yeah. You know, it's quite full on, isn't it? The gallop, like, you know. To, well, to... It is, um, especially for when you do it for the first time. But for me, it becomes second nature. In fact, I don't do any slow work on horses at all. I only do gallops because it's there's no... I don't need to know how a horse feels when it's going slow. I only want to know what it feels like when it's going fast. And when, yeah, it's, right. when it's doing its preparation work leading up into races. Um, but as an apprentice, obviously, you go through the, you go through the stages where you, you have to learn. You start off riding without a saddle. You, you, you start off riding bareback, as they call it, um, yeah. to learn your balance, to learn how a horse feels underneath you and... and learn exactly what what they're thinking so you've got to read their ears you've got to you've got to read what they what they're going to do next but a lot of horses at that stage when you're learning 
they're teaching you how to ride. They've, they've done it for so long that they know that they've got an inexperienced rider on their back and they've got to look after you. But they have the moments, don't worry. I ended up round and round a ring not being able to stop these horses. When they've had enough, they've had enough, they just take off. Yeah. But that's, that is the way you learn how to ride. When, as a jockey, I've only ever learned how to ride by making mistakes and getting those scary moments, so, so to speak, when, when horses misbehave. Mate, I think that's an awesome point you just made, that we learn from making mistakes. And you can't afford... I mean, obviously making mistakes in certain sports and certain careers is, is you know, can be detrimental. I was talking to last week um, to Dane Zorko about, you know, um, F1 driving and, you know, those guys make a mistake. It could cost you life. You, you making a mistake, it could cost you your life. Me as a professional golfer making a mistake, it's not going to cost me my life. I might just make a bogey or a double bogey, you know. So, um, but the learning comes from that, doesn't it? You know, and, and you have just hit the nail on the head there. And I think for all the listeners out there, it's, you know, don't, don't necessarily get upset when you fail, but think about how do I, how do I grow? How do I get better? Exactly. And, you know, in, in my, in my career and in, in every jockeys and every trainer's career, they, in this, in this kind of game, um, the horse racing, you actually never stop learning. Um, there's guys out there that have forgotten stuff that I'm still learning, but then again, yeah speak to them one day and they go, I just learned something today. And this would be a guy that's a trainer or, or a jockey who's been riding for 40 years or a trainer that's been training for 50, 60 years and he's just come to you and he's gone, what do you think about this? This is just a, you know, I'm just sort of um, not making up a story, but I've, uh, this has happened to me before where sure. someone's come and said, how do you think about this? I've been training for 60 years and such and such happened and, and it taught me something today. So, that's why I say in, in, our, in our career, in our profession, and horse trainers alike, they just, you just never, ever stop learning. And I'm always trying to better myself. I always try to look as neat as possible on horses and be as kind as possible to horses because the kinder you are as a rider, um, the more you're actually going to get out of your horses. I mean, mm. some, horses, some horses you can't because they've just had enough and they're just, they're just ignorant and probably need a holiday <laughs> I'm always trying to better myself and I, I always like Monday is quite a big day for me really going through the whole weekend's racing and seeing what I could have done and what I couldn't have done in the races and I've always I've always had and learned from other other professional athletes where they especially golfers have a coach yeah I've always had a coach which is my one of my very best friends in New Zealand so he'll watch me um, he watches every ride and he'll, he'll, if he doesn't ring me on a Monday, I don't know if I've, I've ridden a ride on the weekend. Yeah. But if I've been successful, he still rings and says, well done or whatever. Um, yeah. In this race, you, start, you, you could have probably done this to help yourself get a better result. And, and yeah. so, and I think it's, 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 it's invaluable where uh, I know a lot of jockeys don't do that and they just kind of never really get to where they want to be. Um, I've been, lucky enough to, I won the uh, Zimbabwe's Apprentice uh, Premiership and the Jockey's uh, Premiership before I left. And then I was lucky enough to win a Premiership in Singapore. So wow. I would love to, dearly have loved to have won in New Zealand and I probably could have, but I've, I've always used my career uh, to full advantage. I've, I've always used it to travel 
to different mm. countries to ride when the opportunities mm. presented itself, which is yeah. pretty much why I'm here now. Yeah. Just going back to your apprenticeship time there in Zimbabwe, something you said there just a couple of times you've mentioned it, but it sounds to me like horses have personalities and attitude, you know, as far as, uh, you know, what you're telling me, um, they're like us as humans, you know, they're, you know, they have, that they have different personalities. Is that what you've experienced? And how do you learn that as you're an apprentice coming through that, Oh, this horse is a bit more like that other one, which I know does this or prefers this style of riding or racing. Well, you, you hit the nail on the head there, Matty, when you said that horses are just like us. The only, the only difference is they're a bit bigger. They've got four legs, they've got a tail. They can't speak. <laughs> That's the biggest thing. Um, they don't really have a brain because, let's face it, if they did have a brain, they wouldn't let us ride them. <laughs> but uh, the thing is, you, it's like people, and, and I, as I said before, I, I really think, especially on, on the, 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 young, the younger horses coming through, that if, if you're... If you're a good rider and you've got good hands, meaning you're a quiet rider and, you, and you, you've got patience, which is which is something that is is very is very uh, it's not used enough in racing. And Bart Cummings said that himself. Um, the great Bart Cummings, who I had lucky enough, I had my first Melbourne Cup ride for, but we'll get there later. Um, yeah. Coming through and teaching horses, the quieter you are on them, and the more you can teach them by being a good rider and and teaching them the right things from day one, the better the horses are going to be nature-wise later on. Yeah, um, amazing. And you go yeah. back to being in, in the, the Jockeys Academy, which they they only there's there's only academies for jockeys in South Africa and Zimbabwe. I, I don't know any academies anywhere else around the world. So oh, it's really? something very yeah it's something very unique it's a little bit like going into the army your parents sign you off to the the officials of the the um the zimbabwe or the south african jockeys uh academy you go in there and when you go to the races you you wear a uniform it's like number ones um you're you go in you have a cubicle which you share with another jockey of your year you have mealtime, you sit down all together and you eat and you're watched, you're not allowed to speak and you have to eat what you're given. You're uh, <laughs> not allowed to take food in there, no alcohol, obviously. And when bedtime's up, that's when you go to bed. So it's a, it was a bit like being in the army, but it was yeah. around the world. And I, I know a lot of people would agree with me that the South African jockeys have probably been the most successful anywhere in the world. Wow. Because, because of that of, process, maybe. Yeah. yeah. What about the jockey trainer relationship, which I think, you know, as a non, uh, a person who doesn't know much about racing, but I'm just thinking here, I, I want to know how does, how does that relationship work and how does that help a trainer to understand what length of race that particular horse might be suited for? So does that make sense? So, yes. Yeah, 100%. So, uh, again, I'll go back to horses being like humans. If, well, let's say horses being like, um, being like athletes. Yeah. You'll get Usain Bolt. You put him over 2,500 metres. He's going to get lapped. He's going to get lapped. But you put him over 100 metres, no one can beat him. Yeah. So, and a lot of it comes in 
uh, with horses, it comes into their, how they bred. They're, so it'll go back. It'll go back by years and years of, of, of bloodlines where you'll have a certain stallion can throw, he can only throw sprinters, or he could throw only stayers, or he can throw both. And then you go, same on the bloodlines with the mares, same sort of thing. A lot of the time, the horses will throw towards the mother side, the mares. Yeah, right. But you, can, you can have horses that are bred to sprint, and they'll they'll go sixteen hundred meters plus, which is a mile plus. Yeah. And then sometimes they get a bit older, and they'll come back, and they they can't see that distance anymore, and they go back to because they've got a bit stronger, they'll start sprinting and go over shorter distances only. Yeah. So. It's kind of it goes back. That's what I mean. That's what fascinates me to help. How did how did you know? How do you work it all out? I mean, obviously there's a rough blueprint there that you're talking about from the bloodline of the horse. Yeah. But then there still has to be a you know a training perspective and a and a and a jockey like yourself with some experience hopping on the horse and going, you know what? When we got to fourteen hundred meters, it had nothing more to give. Or that's exactly right. And a lot of the time, you can pick that up before they even race because here in Australia and New Zealand and at most uh, places around the world now, we do trials where they'll do, it's like many races, but it's more for education and it's, it's the education for the horses. So all the young horses have to trial before they can race. They have to get a ticket. They have to, their, yeah, ticket, right. their ticket is pretty much how it's they almost behave. like their apprenticeship. Yes. How they behave when they go on the barriers. So the starting gates. Yeah. They have to behave in there and they have to do everything right in their trial before they get their ticket. Yeah, wow. And then it's up to the trainer or the jockey to determine whether they need another trial for experience and strength before they can go to the races. Could so that be just one trial? No, nah, I've, I've seen horses trial five or six times before they even race. Because yeah, they, but if they do a great job, is it? can they just pass with one? Yes, sorry, they can. Yeah. Yes, that's right. And if they don't, they, they're given a chance to come back until they do. Yeah, sure. So, and that's, again, you asked me about uh, trainer-jockey combination. It's very, very important. A lot of jockeys here in Brisbane and in Australia, um, they freelance. But you always find a trainer where you can get on with and, and vice versa. And you, or where you get most of your rides from or, where, or who you, you work well with. Um, and you sort of ride a lot more for them. Uh, so it's always getting horses up and going is determined a lot by the relationship you have with trainers and the trainers obviously they have the relationship with those horses all the time because those are the horses that they train sure with, with jockeys you know like if i if i get off a horse now i don't really like this horse i don't have to tell the trainer that i just tell my manager i say well i rode this horse at the trials today and i don't think it's much good so don't chase it before it goes to the races whereas the trainers have to take that poor horse home and have it until it's until yeah. it's uh, careers finished. Yeah. So mm. as jockeys, we, we get probably get the better end of the deal, really. What about um, trainers and the trainers generally have a, a bunch of horses that fit one sort of distance or one, like, as you said before, sprinters or stayers, do they tend to be along that line? Like, you know, the, there's trainers who are better at training the sprinter horse versus the, the stayer. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's quite correct. Like a, a lot of trainers, yeah, they, they, 
specified really in in a certain horse and and they'll go to the, the yearling uh the yearling sales so this is obviously picking yearlings is before they're even broken in mm. they'll go and they'll see a, a specific horse and they'll think well when it grows into its full potential i know it's well they, it's pretty much a guess but they have a very good idea that it's either going to run early or it's going to be a stay and it's going to need time so they you know, if, if a certain trainer likes only training sprinters, that's, they'll go for the horses that look like they're going to run early and, and you know, not, not take too much time. But nowadays, a lot of, a lot of trainers out there, they, they've learned to adapt to training every kind of horse. Yeah, right. Otherwise, they just sort of get left in the dark. You know, they, a lot of uh, owners will, will want that sort of trainer that can be uh, versatile in training every kind of horse just so that um you know and, and that makes that actually makes makes a very good trainer if, if they can do that um and there's some very very good trainers uh, here in brisbane and obviously australia and and worldwide where that's they have now made that their forte in, in training every sort of horse so that they obviously can get a bigger stable yeah and, and otherwise a little bit pigeonholed i guess into what how many races you can have horses in if you're only yeah, well, training sprinters. They just sort of uh, sort of trainers if they pitch, if they pick one particular horse and everyone knows that. Well, they're probably not going to have the wider scope of of races that they can win instead of just only those races that they they've picked the horses for. If that makes sense. Absolutely, it does. What about if we flip it over to you now as a jockey? Do you have a preference? Um, and I imagine it's the same deal in that, you know, you need to be a versatile jockey that can ride sprinters and stayers, but do you have a preference of, um, what type of horse you like to saddle up on, on race day? Yes. Obviously a very fast one. That's going to win. Absolutely. I think, and I speak on probably most jockeys that there's nothing better than going to the races with a really good book of rides and, Amongst them, you'll know, uh, you'll know probably seventy-five percent of those horses. Um, obviously, the jockeys love to go to the races and ride horses that behave, that are nice to ride, and that give you a hundred percent. You can't always get that. Um, you, as a jockey, I'll go to the races, and sometimes I'll ride a horse I've never ever ridden before, and I have to rely on either watching its replays to see what it can and what it can't do, uh, and then work out what what race it's up in today and where I'm going to be from the draw and how it's going to be in the running and, and so forth. But, yeah, obviously, every jockey wants to go to the races and, and ride horses that are well-behaved and are going to go out there and know that they're going to give their best. Um, but there's a, there's a lot of homework going into into just about every every race. Like, you've got to know the form. You've got to know what what other jockeys around you are going to do or, or have some kind of uh, idea before those gates open. Um, you've got to have plan A and then quite often gates open, you've got to go to plan B because something else has not happened the way you expect it to. So it, 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 it's, a very, it's a very complex sort of job, but it, at the same time, you can't think too much about what's going to happen and expect it all to happen because as I say, as soon as those gates open, one, jocks don't have any friends, you're on your own. And yeah. two, 
the race doesn't always pan out how you expect it to. So you got to, it's all on instinct really, as a jockey takes, as those gates open, a lot of instinct comes into the first 100 meters of the race just to determine where you're going to be. And there's obviously in a race, we've got to go there and we've got to try and no matter how far it is, you, you can't burn the candle at both ends and expect the horse to win. It can't, it can't go fast early and then fast, you know, at the end unless yeah. it's very, very good. So you've got to conserve its energy. You've got to try and get as close to the rail as possible because that's the shortest way home. Yeah. And you, horses always tend to race better if they've, got, if they've got cover. So if they've got a horse in front of them, they can just relax behind them. Do no work early have one run at them the last bit. So it's pretty much what jocks always, in a nutshell, try and do before the race is try and work out where they're going to be in a race and, and how to give their horses the best chance of winning. It's fascinating to me to listen to all that. And I reckon I could listen to you chat about that. And we'll get more on that. It's, you know, I can imagine that you, as you said, you've got plan A and this is what's going to happen. And all of a sudden you jump out and everyone jumps out and they want to get in behind as well. And then all of a sudden you find yourself, you know, on the fence, but leading the race when you wanted to be, you know, three back. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, like you, you, I can go out there and the trainer will say, okay, well, you know, this horse normally he, um, he'll jump out. It's got a lot of speed early, but then he'll probably be in front. The gates open and the horse maybe try and jump too fast and he'll, he'll almost fall on his face and stumble. Next minute you've got five or six in front of you. Well, I'm supposed to be in front. Yeah. Those are the kind of things that you need to, and you learn as you do it more and more and more that you just adapt to that situation and you've got to, it, yeah. it, it's taken out of your hands. It's, it's, it's not so, it's not a motorbike. You can't just rev it up and off you go. Yeah. But then just adapt to that situation and ride your race as it happens. Um, it happens <clears throat> day in and day out to every jockey. Do you get nervous in the, in the, uh, in the gates? I wouldn't say nervous. I suppose in my early days when I started off, yes, I did. Um, yeah. But now it becomes, I'm not going to say second nature, but it, it, you, if you're, the horses can pick up nervous riders when they get on. Yeah, if you're well, nervous, you, you're going to, the horses are tighter. And, they, and it just makes them nervous. And it just, the more relaxed you can be when you get on their backs and get them down to the start and get them to relax, the better they'll race. So, yeah, you to answer your question, in big races, say like the, the, the big money races, you, I probably feel a little bit of anxiety, but I'll, yeah. I'll make sure that I'm a, I'll make that horse relaxed on the way to the start before we go into gap. <laughs> Excuse it's me. A bit like a uh, <coughs> Wednesday single stable foot for me at Nudgy Golf Club versus an Australian Open. There is a difference there, and but you're still trying to feel just as relaxed in the Australian oh, Open yeah. first tee, but. You know, even talking to Adam Scott a few months ago on the podcast here, and he was saying that when he gets to the first tee at Augusta, he still feels it. You know, he's still nervous for that tee shot. You know, that I don't, very first I don't tee shot. 100%. I don't think we'd be human if he didn't. No, no. And especially no. when you're working towards, you know, as a jockey, I'm imagining you, you, I mean, imagine you've ridden some big races up through Singapore and the like, but, you know, Melbourne Cups and, you know, getting to the pinnacle of your your riding career by getting starts in Melbourne cups and races like that around the world, the Derby, I suppose over in the UK. Um, you'd, you'd have to be, I reckon you would have had to be nervous on that first Melbourne cup. Wouldn't you tell us that well, story? Well, yeah, well, I, I was actually, uh, 
I went over to Melbourne from New Zealand to ride um, a specific horse that was supposed to, we were trying to qualify it for the Melbourne Cup. And in this race, unfortunately, he broke down. He's, he, so when I say he broke down, he hurt himself. And he, <coughs> excuse me, he couldn't race again. So I got on the plane and I went back home and um, I got back to Cambridge in New Zealand. And I was riding, so Melbourne Cup Day was the next day. <coughs> Excuse me, sorry. Um, and I had 10 rides in Auckland on our big day. On the same a, day as Melbourne Cup? Yes. So you had I, 10, 10 rides planned on your book? Yeah. So sitting back Monday night and I get a phone call from a certain gentleman in Cambridge. Are you still in Melbourne? I said, no, nah, I'm back in Cambridge. He said, well, one of the jocks in Melbourne their appeal was unsuccessful and they're not allowed to ride tomorrow and Bart Cummins is looking for a jockey for his Austin Melbourne Cup. <laughs> well, naturally I hung up and I said, well, someone's just trying to play a joke. So I just hung up <laughs> and they rang back and I said, listen, Mark, we're serious. Well, I'm not joking. I said, oh, shit, sorry. I, I didn't know. I, I thought it was just a jeer. I said, honestly, <laughs> if, you, if you, can get a, you can get a flight early in the morning, get back to Melbourne, Bart's going to put you on. And I mean, for us as jockeys, the Melbourne Cup at that stage, well, and, and even today, it was, it was. You knew that you you were someone then if you if you'd been offered get a ride, especially especially for for Bart Cummings. Yeah, anyway, not a not a, not a small name in racing too. Uh, no, but <laughs> chasing at, your services. At that stage, I think he'd won eleven cups. So. I thought, well, I can't believe this. Well, happened. you're probably also thinking he's won 11 cups. This is Bart Cummings. Yeah. Surely I'm going to get on a horse that's got a chance to win the Melbourne Cup as well. Well, he was a 40, 40 to one chance um, that year. But anyway, I managed to get get a flight. Uh, I got there, and and I um I, I got there early in the morning, and it was blowing a gale. It was it was so cold drink and I got there uh, nervous as hell because now I've, I've only ridden in Melbourne before but not not for the Melbourne Cup and I, I'm gonna meet Bart Cummings and I, and I know I'm gonna say something so stupid and embarrassing <laughs> anyhow I didn't do that he was great he was uh, an absolute gentleman he um, he was a little bit intimidating to start but he cracked a joke and, and got me really relaxed straight away and told me a little bit about the horse and I rode the horse and afterwards he comes back and he said, well, you rode that horse really well. I think I'm going to give you a faster one next year, which didn't happen. But <laughs> it was probably the greatest uh, experience of my life um, riding for him. And the horse, actually, the horse actually ran 10th. So the owners got all their money back. It actually earned them 75 grand. So they were pretty happy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, awesome. No, I guess you're, prob you're probably lucky in a way that you were... Uh... In New Zealand, a few hours ahead of Australia time too, which allowed you to get a flight and get there in time. Yeah, well, that was it was it was quite. It, that's that's exactly right. But um, it's funny because when I landed in Melbourne, I I was delayed at the airport and I was I was starting to worry about stress. I had to get, <laughs> you try and get to the to the um, to Flemington Racecourse at any time on Melbourne Cup Day. It'll take you it'll take you an hour to walk. Okay, it's ridiculous. Yeah. <clears throat> And I started to sort of panic and somebody walked past, one of the officials walked past and I said, listen, 
I'm stuck behind this line. I've got my carry-on luggage here, and I've, I've got to get to Flemington. And true as anything, he, said, he looked at me and he said, oh, are you the jockey that's replacing Stephen Bester? I said, yes, I am. He said, you no want to cup? He said, come with me. And I just jumped the queue and went straight through. <laughs> they knew yeah, what I was asking for tips. I said, listen, I'm really sorry, but I, I've got to get going. I've got to get to Flemington. I'm late already. Uh, I made yeah. it on time, but I just couldn't believe it. They all knew as soon as they, they knew who I was because everybody wants to bet on the cup. They knew yeah. what had happened. I just couldn't believe that they, when, they, they, when they knew who I was and what I was trying to do, they just, <laughs> I jumped the whole queue, just straight through customs, off you go, got me a taxi, good luck, and off yeah, I went. Mate, it just shows the significance of that race and how important it is to just everyone, especially in Melbourne. Have you ever, ever tried that again, flying into Melbourne on a Saturday morning, mate? Look, I'm riding for Park Cummins. No, nah, well, <laughs> it's always, it's not on a Saturday anyway, Matty. You know that, it's on yeah. Tuesday. <laughs> well, no, I'm just talking yeah. about any Saturday when you, when you come. Yeah, in. no. no you know, I always drop the big name. Oh, hey, 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 I'm in this big queue. I'm going to just drop the Park Cummings name again. I'll see if I can yeah. do it again. No, I, I've learned my lesson. I go the day before now. Yeah. And... So that was an incredible experience for you as a jockey, the, the pinnacle, I suppose, at that point in your life. And as you said, it's still the greatest experience of your, your riding career to ride for Bart. Um, that's the first Melbourne Cup. Have, yeah. you had, have you had a foray back into the Melbourne Cup since? Yeah, I was lucky enough to have another three rides after that. They were all uh, New Zealand horses. Um, two of them, uh, so... My first ride was in 2004 when Maccabi Diva won it the second year. And then after what that... What about... Sorry, can, can I stop you there? Because that's one of the most famous racehorse names and racehorses in, you know, certainly since the turn of the 2000s, but yeah. probably will go down as one of the greats of all time in racing. Um, what was it like to be there on the day, you know, where that horse is doing its thing? Oh, I just and the yeah, crowd are just insane. I remember the crowd yeah. being insane for that horse. It was amazing because obviously she'd won it the year before, um, and she was she was favourite that year. But just an hour before that, we had a torrential downpour. downpour. And was, wow, it was heavy. And it, I, I I don't think I've ever been as cold as that in my career ever in my life. It was just we were parading for the Melbourne Cup. And I was sitting on the horse trying to relax, but I was shivering. Mm-hmm. Luckily, he was quiet. He was an old horse. He just, he'd been there and done that before. So, But I, I remember thinking, if this is my first Melbourne Cup experience, I'm about to die of cold. I, <laughs> <laughs> but by the time I got behind the gates, it was good. But yeah, I was in awe of, of her and obviously a few of the jocks I, I hadn't met before. And to me, they were a little bit of, well, they were pretty much my heroes, like Darren sure. Beard. Ben Boss himself, um, yeah, all all the boys, um, Damien Oliver, they were obviously all in the race, and I hadn't met them properly before, so it was good to be there and in, in amongst them, and um, well, for the first time. So it was, as I said, it was a great experience. What about when the? Do you remember after the race is done, one and and then you, you know you, you you're walking or you know trotting back to back in after the race, turn your horse around and come back in. What was that noise like? Do you remember the noise when Maccabee Diva came back in? Yeah, the, it's a lot like being inside the mosh pit of a, of a concert. 
with yeah, right. without actually hearing any songs. You just it's how the some of the horses cope is is and they cope really well is is beyond me because it is very very loud. It's actually even it's really loud even going to the start. Like you go right past all the crowd. Yeah, wow. Yeah, right. you turn down to the down to the um down to go to the gates and bearing in mind by then they've had a fair bit to drink so yes. um if you're not getting abused you're getting cheered so you've just kind of got to put it out and just just kind of laugh at them or yeah or just you know you, you you can you're not supposed to interact with them but it's hard not to for a race like that yeah so, i always found that interaction on the tee in in big tournaments when you know, I might have been going okay and I was feeling nervous. That interaction with the crowd actually calmed me down, you know, because right. it made me, feel, yeah. made me feel a bit human again. Oh, look, I'm just a person. They're just a person. You know, they're either yeah. barracking for you or, or they're not. But, you know, you just have a chat. And, yeah, for me, it was, um, it was a real calming thing for me. So let's uh, – before we go back into your, ne- your next rides in your Melbourne Cup, um, it just – triggered a, a, another question in my mind here. Did you ever race up against Black Caviar during Black Caviar's run of incredible wins? Unfortunately, no, I didn't. Because yeah, wow. a, lot of, a lot of the time that she raced, I was actually overseas in Hong Kong on a, on okay. a company. Uh, either Hong Kong or Singapore. Um, <clears throat> but I, no, I never, unfortunately, I never had the chance to race against her or or Winks. I don't think I ever rode in a race when Winks was racing. I, I don't think. So, yeah, it's just, it would have been, I mean, I I obviously, I sat behind Sunline in a race one day when she when she came over to New Zealand. I don't know if you know who Sunline is. I don't yep. know if you would know. Yeah, she was very, yep. very, very good mare. Um, yeah, no, that's, unfortunately, no, I didn't sit behind. What about, what about, race. had you ever had any discussion or interaction with with the jockeys of those horses, Black Caviar Winks, that that tell you about the horse and tell you about the the incredible turn of speed at the end, or you know, just the confidence um, that that horse was never going to get beaten on the day. Yes, um, I have, and it's a lot. A lot of them say the same thing. They those horses do things that other horses are just not capable of doing, and, it, it, and they just uh, it's a bit like I don't know. Um, me playing golf probably against you or 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 a professional um you try and you try and do something and the pro is going to come out and and so say what takes me a driver is probably going to take you know distance wise it's going to take um it's going to take the pro and i know kind of thing (laughs) i hope that's your sake yeah (laughs) Uh, that's how that's how the, those jocks sort of describe yeah. what those good horses do compared to just the normal average horse that they kick around on. It's it almost sounds like they're just you know those great horses. The the jockey really all the jockey's got to do is stay on board and enjoy the ride, you know. Well, and, yeah. and the horse will kind of know when to go. They might just give it a little little nudge and go, okay, now's the time to go, buddy. You yeah. Know? It, it, it can be like that, yeah. Um, but then sometimes, you know, the horses come to the races and everything appears well. <coughs> and, sure. you don't know, the horse might just have, a, have an off day and, and it can get beaten. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, when you speak to those jockeys about those horses, they, that's more or less what they say is those horses do things that horses, other horses just would never be able to do. Yeah. What about when you're in the running and do you get a feeling as a jockey, as a jockey on board, do you get a feeling like, oh, we're on here? Yeah. Or, or oh my gosh, this horse is laboring today or... You know, you go to give it that kick as you come onto the straight and there's just nothing left or there's just no gas or... Yeah, a lot of those. Um, you go quite often, um, and this weekend, my partner Beck said to me, how do you think you'll go today? Which she always does on a Saturday morning or any race day. And I, I'll kind of, um, I'll say, well, I think this particular horse is my best chance or I've got three really good rides. Yeah. And in those particular races, if all goes well, you turn for, into the straight and you'll, you'll know, you'll think, well, I've got a plenty horse underneath me. And you give it a squeeze and, or you encourage it and give it a tap on the shoulder or something and off it goes and it'll win or it'll be competitive when it's saying it'll, it'll run in the first three. Yeah. So, um, yeah, certainly in, in the running in the race, you coming up more or less most of the time, you'll know halfway through the race sort of how you travel it, how, what you've got underneath you and know whether you're going to be competitive or not. That comes back to what you were saying before, that there's a lot going on in a race, isn't there? Because now I'm listening to you talk about this and thinking, okay, well, you, you know, you've got this thoroughbred underneath you that you're just perched up on top of. You're trying to get a feel for how is that horse performing today? What do I feel? Is it you know, pulling back on the, on the reins a bit? Is it yanking at it a bit? You know, is it forcing itself a little bit too much to stay in this position? But then you're looking at your position of other horses and jockeys around you. And I kind of imagine you kind of know who the favourites are in each race as well and who you maybe have to beat. So that's probably colours of a jockey's, you know, strip for that particular race that you're looking for. Man, there's a lot going on, isn't there? And then yeah, you try to position yeah. your horse and... And trying that's to give right. yourself an out if you're if you're tucked on the fence, you're trying to give yourself a run to the line, and you know, yeah, it's right. incredible you know, you, to think yeah. about how much is going on. There is, I mean, you, you, all of what you just said. I mean, the day before, I'll be doing my speed maps where <clears throat> uh, it just determines when you go through runner by runner in, in, in each race of where they're going to be in the race, who I've got to be, where I'm going to be in conjunctions to where they're going to be. Um, all at the same time during the race, you, you, you're trying to not sit three wide and, and give your horse extra mileage or extra work to do. And then you, you also don't want to be sitting behind that particular horse because he's not going to take you into the straight. He's going to, he's going to labor and fall out of it at the half mile. You don't want to be going backwards by then. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of, especially if you're in a big race and you've got a chance, you don't want to be going into it unprepared. And oh, for sure. And sometimes it happens. You, you can go to the races and you're not in a big race and one of the jocks falls sick and you pick that ride up and you've done no homework for the race. That's yeah. when you've that, got to rely. You just rely. Yeah, you just rely on the trainers and that. And yeah, yeah, you have to. And the trainers know that. And, and, and then that's definitely when during the, in the race, instinct will kick in. And you might not have ever ridden that horse before, but you get a feel of him going to the start and you kind of know from the knowledge you're given from the trainer, what might happen and what you might be able to do and what you can't do. And it, it all depends as well with the barrier draws. The further out you're drawn, 
the more difficult you are of, of getting to the fence to give your horse the best and shortest way home. So there's a lot of, there's a lot that does go on <clears throat> before those gates open, as I said before. And it's just a lot of it you have to rely on instinct, even if you've done hours of homework beforehand. But so take us through, let's go back to your Melbourne Cup. And, uh, you know, I'm fascinated by this chat and the, the journey on the race day and the, and the walk down to the gates and all the rest of it. So take us through a typical Melbourne Cup ride so you can even go back to one of your four rides that you've had in the cup, if you like. And talk us through that process from, okay, you've drawn wide in, you know, barrier 20, you know. Yeah. Um, you're trotting, you're walking your way down there with your horse. You've come out, you've paraded, you know, you're down there. And talk us through, because it's a long race, 3,200, right? Yeah, that's right. So there's a lot of time and a lot of thinking, you know, and... I guess, evolving doors or sliding doors, if you like, during a race too. So sure. can you talk me through, you know, maybe one of those Melbourne Cups and, you know, where, where you were and, you know, how you, how you rode that particular cup? Okay. Well, I'll take you back again to the very first one. So Strasbourg was the horse's name. Riding for Bart, he's put me at ease straight away before I even got on the horse. I'm drawing 23 of 24. <laughs> that is <laughs> it's it's freezing cold outside and the track's heavy. I know the one to beat is forty horses away from me in Maccabi Diva. She's brilliant and there's probably drawn perfect. Yeah, she's she's in a good spot. If I can he said to me, he said you Bart, I mean, not not just he, sorry. He said, Look, if you if you can get on Maccabi Diva's back, meaning follow her in the race, he said, You're gonna be a genius. I can tell you right now that's not gonna happen. But all I want you to do is do nothing early, meaning let your horse begin. Let him just relax straight away, try and get to the fence. That's exactly what happened with me. I was fortunate enough. It all worked out perfect, but I couldn't follow the COVID either. I just mm. jumped out. My horse relaxed beautifully, and I got into the fence before the first corner. So it was, it was a good ride on my behalf from what I was given um, going into the race where I was drawn badly and, yeah. Uh, yeah. So you found your fence. You found your your fence by the first turn. First yeah. And, and what are you thinking now? How 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 keep keep unfolding this event? It's awesome. Yeah. So, and I actually ended up behind Frankie Dettorian. I thought, well, how good is this? This this yeah. guy. He's a good jock. He's obviously on a good horse of Godolphins. They've come over from Europe. They're going to be going all right. Next minute, he's going nowhere, and I had to come off the fence and follow another one. Yeah. Right. Uh, in the interim, it's it. I'm getting splattered with mud. It's it's, yeah. It, it was crazy, but it's hard to to trace your steps the whole way through the race because a lot of it is it it all seems to, in my mind, by the time you you straighten and you ride your race and you go for it and you think, okay, well, I'm not going to win, but it's been a great experience. It all seems to happen in about five seconds. <laughs> well. It's been three and a half minutes work. You know what I mean? Yeah. It all yeah. Sort of, bang, it's gone. It's happened. And you, well, Do you have time, like you're talking about the mud flicking up on you. Have you got time to sort of clean your goggles so you can uh, see what the hell you're doing? No. Well, you've, got to, you've got to have both veins. You've got to have both hands on the rain. But yeah. Talking about that, I was, it was actually weird. I had two pairs of goggles on and at the thousand meter marker, I couldn't see. So I went to take one pair off and both of them come off. <laughs> so it's, a, it's almost like a quick flick. Um, yeah, right. Like riding a motorbike and taking a tear off. You do it very yeah. quickly. Yeah. Um, 
and both my goggles came off and I went, oh, now I'm in a bit of trouble. But it was okay. I could, I, it, by then it wasn't coming up too badly. Most of the damage had been done and I could see where I was going. So well, I guess as you've got, as you come down into the, you know, the final push, you know, horses, the, the horse, the pack of horses spreads, I guess, a little bit. So everyone's yeah. pushing to try and get their run. So you might not be getting quite as much, you know, well, that mud flick. Yeah. At that stage too, with that race being as as long as it is, a lot of horses don't actually see the trip, so they start falling away pretty quick. So if you're travelling and you're going well enough, you've got to try and get yourself into a position where you're not going to get dragged back by them because you can't, in racing as a jockey, you can't just shift out and push someone out of the way. It's just, it's illegal. You can't. Yes. You'll, it happens, but yes. you can get suspended for it and find quite heavily especially in races like that because there's yeah. that the whole world's watching so the the, the official lot racing of, there's a lot of money involved too yeah. right and the officials of racing they don't want us to go out there and make a fool of ourselves by doing something stupid because the whole world's watching so you, you go into the you go into the room before those races and the officials say right if you're going to go out there and cause interference or use your whip too many times you're going to get, this is, this is how we're going to treat you. So you're being warned, go out there and be professional. And it, 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 most of the jocks are in any race, yeah. but it does happen that sometimes horses get tired and they, they react a bit slower to what the jockey wants. And, and you, you end up, unfortunately, causing interference or horses get in the way of others and jocks get suspended or, or mm. knocked around or, or unfortunately, sometimes jocks get, knocked off the horses and the horses fall over or yeah but it happens it's it's that's just that's what we say it's just like racing. It's racing yeah that happens so when you when you came around and you you mentioned there before you came around into the straight there and you know you're giving your horse the license to go yeah but you knew you weren't going to win you know um at that stage are you still just picking your line to have a nice clean run to the finish not interfere with anyone but do you get a moment to, to kind of look up ahead and see who is winning? And do you see Mac? Uh, yeah, well, actually, just before we straightened, I got, I got into the position where I wanted to be to be competitive. And I thought, gee, I'm actually going all right here. I'm yeah. not going to win, but I know I'm gonna, my horse is going to run some sort of race. And <clears throat> I remember pulling up thinking, gee, I, I wish it hadn't rained because I think my horse could have been more competitive. When I let his head go to... to to finish the race off, he, he didn't really handle the wet that, that well. Yeah. Some horses hate the wet and some horses just relish in it. Yeah. The very good ones don't care what, what's underneath them, they'll just go through anything. But And that was how Maccabi did it once. She was just so much better than the rest. The track was as, as heavy as it could be. Yeah. And, and she still won. But yeah, I, I remember turning for home thinking, well, where is she? I can't see her. I've still got a ride in the race. And Obviously, they they pay back to tenth place by then, so which is a, a yeah, in that year, it was seventy five thousand dollars to the owners, and you have to still ride your race thinking, well, I'm, I want to run tenth, and you can't just drop your hands because if you drop your hands and you run out, you can get oh yeah, you can get into trouble for it. So yeah, I was lucky enough enough. I ran tenth, and the owners were wrapped. They were like, well, we've got all our money back, so. Yeah. Because you, know, you obviously have to pay the fee to get your horse into the cup, and they got it all back by running 10th, so it was like a win for them. Mm. 
Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's, I remember pulling up thinking, well, I've, I still can't believe it, but I've, I've ridden in the Melbourne Cup. I've made the owners happy and I've ridden for one of Australia's biggest icons. So, no, it was, yeah, it was a great experience. Still, still riding today. So 45 years of age, mate, and still riding today. And, you know, um, I think you've had somewhere in the vicinity of, oh, I was looking at it earlier this morning, somewhere between seven and a half and 8,000 rides in your career, um, which is incredible. Um, still aspirations to get back to the big stage? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I, I, so I've managed to win. So our big stages are the group one races. Yes. And um, I've managed in my winners. I, mean, I don't know how many winners I've actually ridden. I think it's close to 2000, but I've, 19 of them have been group one winners. So I'm desperately trying to win my 20th group one race at this stage uh, before I retire, which is, I'm thinking, probably at the age of 50. Oh, wow. So it's, 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 I was just wondering about that. So it's not dissimilar to, uh, to golf, mate, you know, it doesn't, yeah. you know, because I, I mean, there's a, there's gotta be a physical toll on your body being a jockey though. Yeah. They, there I mean, is uh, not only your falls and things like that, but yeah. I imagine through the training and the, the, you know, the, the trial races and things like that, you're, well, I think you're going to be up at some ungodly hour in the morning down doing track work? Well, tomorrow morning is a, a very important uh, gallop day or exercise day for horses coming up for this weekend. So Tuesday is normally their, their most important gallop for the Saturday. Yep. So tomorrow my alarm, it goes off at 20 to 3. Wow. I, get, I get up at 3 and I'm at the track. I'm on my first one at quarter to 4. Uh, track uh. opens at 4. And I'll probably ride five or six horses and then go to the trials if there are trials tomorrow. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's a, a big enough, it's a big enough day. And we do that, or I do that Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. So Saturday is a long day because I wake up at, at three o'clock. I go yeah. do my work, come home, go to the races, and get home probably six or seven o'clock that night. I'm pretty tired. It's been a long day. Yeah, and you've been you've been just been doing it for about thirty years, mate. Yeah, well, longer. Yeah, uh, <laughs> since you think back to your uh, your academy days in Zimbabwe yeah. as a 14, yeah. 15 year old. Yes, yeah. uh, thirty years of doing it, but mate, you still love it, hey? Oh, I've still got that great passion for for winning races. At the moment, I'm going through a little bit of a lean spell where I haven't had a winner for for uh, nearly a month. Um, it's killing me, but I haven't. I haven't I hadn't up until Saturday I hadn't ridden for um a uh, full two weeks uh, due to injury. But um yeah, hopefully this week we can change that. I know one of my, my better horses are running on the weekend, so hopefully he can and he's been coming out really good in training, so um yeah, I'm looking forward to, to riding him. He's he's running on Saturday. Does racing continue over the sort of Christmas period or do you have a break? Uh, so, in, we, no, racing is, is pretty much 365 all year round. Um, and even actually in, in Japan, they race on, on uh, dog, Christmas Day. Yeah, that's, that's my big dog. <laughs> uh, racing doesn't stop, really, uh, worldwide. Um, 
even through this pandemic, we managed to carry on, which was good for us because we could keep working. But no, nah, it just it doesn't doesn't seem to stop. The only have time you been we... riding, have you been riding crowd free, or is there yeah. crowds back in in Brisbane? Is there crowds now? They've just started coming back. It's pretty much back to normal in okay. uh, in in Brisbane now. Yeah, it's but we had. Oh, a good three, four months with no one at the races. It was quite eerie. It must feel so weird. A lot of the time, it, it yeah, it, it felt really weird. But, um, yeah, and the, the poor old owner, he couldn't come in. We weren't allowed, <laughs> we weren't allowed anywhere near the horses, not even to the stables. So um, it was tough on them. But, as I say, from a jockey's point of view and a trainer, I suppose, we, we were able to keep working, which was great. Is, uh, you know... Um without giving any details is it you know for the young young guy out there who's thinking about making riding horses a career is it a it's it's a profitable career is it a career that can sustain you um or what level do you need to be at for that um financial stability out of being a jockey well firstly man you've got to have the the correct size um yeah obviously being a jockey we have to be small because we have to meet certain weights so top weight most of the time, top weight at a race meeting is, is 58 or 59 kilos. Yeah. That's, with, that's with all your gear and your, your body weight put on that horse. So a lot of jocks, and I'm the, one of the very fortunate ones where I am small, I, I can ride any weight. So yeah, I, right. I can eat and drink whenever I want. What do you weigh, mate? Um, about 52 kilos. 52 kilos. Yeah. Uh, but... <laughs> You know, this day and age, like to answer your question, um, the kids are born naturally bigger. Yeah. This in in, in this sort of uh, in the last sort of twenty thirty years than yeah, absolutely. when we were born. Um, I don't know yep. why, but they are. It's just genetics are a lot stronger, I suppose, and kids are born bigger. So the kids coming through, ninety percent of them are just too big to be jockeys, but they're dieting and they're wasting and. Or, say wasting they're sweating a lot in the saunas mm. taking off three and four kilos before races um that's brutal which is something i don't have to do which I'm, I'm very fortunate about so to make a career of being a jockey first you have to you have to have a pretty laid-back demeanor about you you've got to be pretty uh patient um mm. you've got to you've got to be able to have the ability to go out there and, and work hard yeah it is hard work it's good hard physical work and it being yeah. honest you your bosses or your trainer's going to want you there 24 7 so you've got to ride work every morning you've got to wake up at three o'clock every morning even on a sunday it's a hard it's hard on kids a lot of them can't cope yeah it's and it's if you really think about it it's, it's not your normal job no it's, I, uh, not. I mean the rewards are there if you work hard um, I was just going to say those yeah. talking, listen to listening to you talk through your Melbourne Cup rides and meeting Bart Cummings, and you know it makes it all worthwhile when you get to that point, doesn't it? But I was very fortunate that the the trainer that I was assigned to when I was a kid, he was a champion jockey himself and a workaholic. So I had nowhere to hide. I uh, I had he made me work, and I'm I'm so grateful for it because one, I was brought up with fantastic parents that taught me great morals. Um, my father was, he was, I'm not going to say very strict, but both parents, if, if, if we didn't say please and thank you, we knew about it. Um, 
I was, had a very good upbringing. Um, and then when I started my apprenticeship, my boss was, the whole family in fact, were, were very, very good to me. And they, he was a gentleman himself, taught me everything I know today really about how to conduct myself on and off the track. Um, <coughs> and it's, I think it's taken me a long way. And um, yeah, he's, he's still going strong at 80 years old in South Africa at the moment. Well, he's retired now, but his grandson has taken over his training. And yeah, wow. I don't speak to them as much as I should, um, but he's still, I still get the odd mess- message on Facebook here and there when I've ridden a winner <coughs> yeah, that I've missed. Nice. So, yeah, it's, it, for a kid coming through that wants to be a jockey, you've, you've got to learn how to work and you've got to learn if you want to make a career of it. It's just part and parcel of what you've got to do. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. Well, mate, um, I've got one more question for you. Um, and thanks so much for being an amazing guest and opening my eyes and um, answering some of the questions that I have about horse riding. And, and I'm just, the, the, the thing that has grasped me the most, I think, has been, yes, the hard work and the, the discipline. The discipline is probably a good word. Yeah. to become elite at your code, right? It, it requires an immense discipline. I loved how you said you were, you know, you, it, it was okay to fail and learn from your failures um, yeah. and try and be better. Um, I loved how you spoke about um, continuing to learn, even though you've been doing it now for 30 plus years, you're still looking at how do I, how can I do it better? Um, what can I do that would help me be a better jockey? Um, and whether it's, being a jockey or a professional footballer or golfer or tennis player or, or just a professional in your code, whatever that might be, or your business. Um, you know, I think those traits that you've spoken about there are fantastic things to, to take with you. So my final question, which I ask everybody on the hard yards podcast, mate, is a question that is if you could be any sports star past or present and live in their shoes for a day, who would it be? Tiger Woods. That was a very quick answer. <laughs> now, uh, yeah. not, the, not the other day, Tiger Woods, when he had a 10 on the 12th at Augusta. You don't want no. to do that day in Tiger no, Woods. I mean, <laughs> that's something I... I reckon, I, I reckon I, you I, and I, I can have a 10 on the 12th at Augusta, no problems. We don't have to be Tiger to do that. No, I, I, I can do that if on, on the first part three at Nudgee. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, Tiger Woods, tell yeah. me more. Well, my passion is golf. I, outside of racing, that is how I relax. And if I've got a big race uh, on the Saturday and I'm not riding on the Friday and I just need some time by myself, I'll get my golf clubs yeah. and I'll come to Nudgee, I'll see you and I'll, take, and I'll walk the course because then at least I can just think of nothing else but playing golf. Um, yeah. and have a, good, a good bit of exercise walking out in holes, pushing the, pushing the, the trolley. And just, just have a bit of me time to think of nothing else but just playing my round. Yeah. And it, it actually, it relaxes me. Um, yeah. I love doing it. And yeah, I've, not so much Tiger when he was being naughty, but I've, I've looked at him as, as the actual, the, the epitome of being an athlete. He, he totally changed golf. Um, For sure. It was, it was a gentleman's sport. Now it's actually... It's, it's a physical athlete sport. Um, it's, yeah, I, I just, I would almost do anything to meet the bloke um, and just get five minutes of, of what we've been talking about out yeah. of his head. Um, yeah, I, 
<clears throat> if if I wasn't a jockey, I if I had my life again, I mean, I wouldn't change anything. But if I had, if I couldn't be a jockey, I would have. I would love to have tried to uh, maybe a, a career in golf, and it's just something that I. Uh, all my kids play golf. Um, well, my my daughter not so much because she's she's big into the, the show jumping and that. But um, my two boys can play, and yeah. it's something that I can't wait when I'm older, and they they're old enough to come and play with me. Yeah, I've so met so many. It's born out of it's born out of a couple of things. It's the passion for the sport, but then the understanding of a of an absolute world elite athlete. And you'd love yeah. to get into the mind of that world elite athlete for a day and understand how it, and what makes him tick and what drives him to be, 100%. as you said, the greatest um, player of our era, that's for sure. So, yeah. Yeah. yes, mate, that is awesome. Well, thank you very, very much for your time today, mate. You've been more than generous and um, we uh, yeah, are super grateful. Um, once again, I mentioned earlier that I was going to give my listeners a, a special offer from the Tour T. So here it is. If you just go to their website, www.australiangolfsupplies.com.au, click on the Tour T tab. From there, you'll receive 10% off any order you place. Um, and when you purchase four or more packs, you'll get postage for free. Just enter the coupon code THY in capitals and the number 10. Uh, that stands for the hard yards 10% and you'll get your discount. What a great gift idea for the golfer in the family for Christmas. I know you've tried these teas, Mark. So uh, you yeah, have tried these already, but uh, certainly mate, as a guest on the show, I'm going to be sending some more of these tour teas your way. Massive. Thank you again for your time um, today, Mark. I wish you and your family all the very best for the festive season, mate. Wishing you safe riding as well. Good luck and uh, certainly good luck this weekend and ride some winners, mate. And I look forward to hearing that you've got yourself back in the winner's circle. And, yeah, mate, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks very much and, and right back at you with your family. Have a great Christmas and I'll be seeing you at the golf course soon. You sure will, mate. I can't wait to catch up again. But thank you very much again for your time. All the best, mate. Take awesome. care. Thanks very much. Take care. Bye. Well, that's the end of another episode on the Hard Yards. Massive thanks again to Mark Duplessis for his time and also to the Tour T once again for jumping on boards with the Hard Yards. Don't forget you can jump on their website, australiangolfsupplies.com.au, using the code THY10 for your discount on the Tour T. And don't forget they come in three sizes, the original with the larger cup size for more stability, the pro version for those who like a more traditional looking tee and the mini, which is my favorite, designed for your fairway woods and long irons so you are not breaking tees on par threes anymore. Uh, they are awesome tees. Can't wait to hear your feedback on them. I love them. And we look forward to the Tour T bringing you episode 23 in two weeks' time.